Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Beyond the Valley. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Arjun Kapoor here in Guangzhou, China, and today's episode is going to be focusing on the technology regulatory crackdown here in China, why it's happening now, what's really going on, what happens next, and really what it means for Chinese tech companies' ambitions, particularly as they look to go global. And as China and the U.S. battle it out for tech supremacy on the global stage, all that will be revealed in my in-depth conversation with a very special guest who is an internet entrepreneur as well as a former legislator in Hong Kong. But before we get to that conversation, I want to set the context here because it's a story that's moved extremely quickly. If you've not been following it closely, we've seen a raft of regulation for the technology and internet sector here in China, as well as other parts of the private sector as well. And it all appeared to start in November 2020 when Ant Group, the financial technology or fintech company founded by billionaire Jack Ma, uh, was going to go public in Hong Kong and Shanghai in what would have been the world's largest IPO. Just a couple of days before that was scheduled to be listed, the IPO was pulled and the company cited changes in the financial technology regulatory environment for a reason that regulators ended up pulling this IPO. Now, I remember flying to Shanghai a couple of days before this IPO. Uh, we were set to cover it, put my bags down in the hotel one night, and then boom, this story just uh, blew up at this point. And we were covering it, furiously writing an article. The next day I was on the streets of Shanghai reporting live on CNBC TV to uh, discuss the story and what had taken place at this point. But the speed of what happened really just underscores, I think, the speed of change happening in what is a new normal now for the tech sector here in China. Now, at the time, there was a lot of talk about whether Jack Ma's comments a few days previously, which were perceived as negative towards the regulators, had a factor in that. There was certainly more behind it at that point, but it did kickstart a number of other regulatory actions and movements as well. There were new rules that came out in terms of uh, antitrust specifically for the platform economy, which refers to these technology companies operating platforms such as e-commerce sites or food delivery or social media as well. There were new rules on unfair competition on the internet. Alibaba was hit with a $2.8 billion fine in an antitrust probe. Meituan, the food delivery giant, is currently under investigation as well uh, in an anti-monopoly probe uh, as well. And the government's introduced new rules around data privacy and data protection. Uh, now, the other high-profile incident to, to highlight here is Didi, the ride-hailing a giant which went public over in the U.S. Uh, days later, the regulators opened a cybersecurity probe into the company, and we'll certainly get into more of that and why that happened. But the question really is, why now? Why this regulatory movement now? And what next? What is the end game? And to discuss that with me today, I've got Charles Mock, an internet entrepreneur as well as a former Hong Kong legislator. He's uh, the founder of Tech for Good Asia, an advocacy group promoting the fair, open, and safe use of technology. Charles, good to see you. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. Good to see you. So let's kick off this conversation because, you know, there's various regulators who are, who are involved right now in the tech uh, regulation here in China. You know, what's changed at the moment in terms of the thinking from Beijing? Why now are we seeing this big regulation of the country's tech sector? 
Yeah, I guess uh, it all started uh, for most people looking at what's been happening. Most people would probably think that the crackdown started when the end financial tried to IPO in Hong Kong last November. Now, looking back, I think by now, I mean hindsight is always perfect. So, looking back, I would say that uh, we are able to see that. Actually, a lot of the trends that the Chinese government had been planning for this sort of actions to happen actually had been happening for quite a few years. In particular, some of the legal changes that they have put in place, including the last couple of years, strengthening some of the antitrust laws inside of China, and more recently, of course, the data security and the cybersecurity laws. These are actually, I would say, looking back in hindsight, things that. The government has been preparing for this、uh, wave of action. Now, of course, the、uh, recent escalation of the effort or the、uh, ferocity of these kind of actions may really take most of the people in the market by surprise to a great extent. And I think part of the reason is also because when we think about investors or even many of those people or groups that are actually investing. Directly in these companies that are involved, you know, companies that are trying to get IPOs and financials, DD and other spin-off from Tencent and so on. You look at those people that are in the market. They actually probably within the last couple of years were thinking that things are going to get tougher, and they wanted to get on the last train. So they were trying to rush themselves、uh, in the door or or out the door, whichever way you look at it. They want to get the last chance to, let's say, do a huge IPO before the crackdown、uh, happens, and probably that's also what made the authorities more agitated,、uh, or make them more on edge. And probably because of that, the、uh, sort of action, the level of actions that has been taken recently, had been more escalated. Has there been any kind of shift in in terms of the mentality, in terms of the thinking of the CCP and the broader? Government agencies towards the tech sector, do you think, or, or the private sector for that matter as well? I think it's actually not just the tech sector; it's also、uh, the private sector as a whole, particularly those sectors that are prone to be controlled by a smaller number of players that are becoming very affluent, very wealthy,、uh, has a lot of power either within those companies or actually even between companies. You know, they work together in certain ways. So the government is probably concerned about those、uh, power being vested、uh, increasingly in the private sector. We've been hearing or talking in the last several years、uh, of the central government and the party thinking that they want to move a bit back away from the、uh, proliferation of the private sector toward more control by state-owned, either directly, not necessarily the same kind of state-owned enterprises of、uh, decades ago, but more involvement and control by the、uh, central authorities. That's certainly a trend. So, in a sense, I believe they are definitely trying to instill and develop a new economic order in China that is very much reversing the kind of liberalization and economic reform, sort of almost free for all for the private sector to flourish.、Uh, that kind of opening up, I do believe that is clear that the the whole thinking is changed. And when you say new economic order, I mean, what would do you think, or what can you discern that are some of the features of that? 
Well, if you look at it from the uh, regulatory uh, aspect, first of all, it's pretty clear that the government is looking at number one sectors that has to do a lot with, uh, you know, as I said, you know, sectors that are easily controlled by a small number of players, the trade practices across sector or within the sector that allow them to develop these sort of anti-monopoly or monopolistic type of trade practices. They are very concerned about that. And of course, they will say that the reason is because they want to protect consumer interests. And there is a good degree of truth in that as well. Of course, also the government wants more control. The second very important trend is obviously the concern about data. And that's why we seem to see a lot of the focus being put on tech companies, because they are the companies, whether they are in, okay, uh, apps or online games or transportations like DD or financial services, we're all talking about these companies putting all these services more and more online, and then they collect a lot of data. Now, that means that, well, of course, when we look at Didi, that example, well, it's clear that the Chinese government was concerned if Didi go IPO in a foreign country, and then they might be susceptible to those foreign countries, especially the United States, trying to get these data from these companies because they get listed on, in the U.S. But actually, even within the country, domestically, uh, the government is probably also concerned about the power of these companies collecting and having a monopoly on all these data. And then finally, of course, also about capital. The government, in the past, I think they weren't as concerned about these companies trying to get IPO'd and get capital investment from foreign entities and investors and so on. In the past, I believe even the government believed that it was a good thing because, you know, every government should want more foreign direct investment or even foreign IPOs. But I think that mentality has changed. Right now, the government is more concerned about what they call disorderly uh, capital expansion, which has to do with these companies either, you know, getting foreign investment, and then the central government may be worried that this might allow foreign interests or, or even governments to have too much control within what's going on within China. And that's becoming more and more sensitive for the government. So Charles, there's a lot to unpack actually in some of the comments you've made in the past few minutes. So I do want to just uh, take it back a little bit and we'll dig more into that data point um, and a few of these other points. Firstly, um, you know, the power of the tech companies is is something you mentioned. And one of the interesting things was, of course, before the pulling of the Ant Group IPO uh, in November, you know, Jack Ma uh, did make that, that notorious speech now uh, in which it was perceived to be pretty negative towards the regulators. Uh, in China. Uh, and there was a lot of talk about whether that was the catalyst for the regulatory action. But more broadly, whether the action against Ant Group and subsequent actions against Alibaba in terms of that huge antitrust fine uh, were really about making an example of some of these tech entrepreneurs who have potentially created alternative power centers to the CCP and, you know, are posing a potential challenge to the power there. I mean, how much do you buy into that narrative? You know, how true is that narrative? I think there's some truth to that. You mentioned about Jack Ma's speech late last year. I believe that probably was the last straw on the camel's back that really prompted the government into, you know, finally taking very drastic or serious action or stopping the IPO and so on. But as I said, I don't believe that it was the only reason. The government over the last several years probably had been very concerned about the power that is developed 
within some of these individuals, like you mentioned, Jack Ma and others. But I don't think it's just a few figures like Jack Ma or Pony Ma or people like that. It's actually the whole interconnected circle of interest uh, among these people. I think when we look back at uh, some of the reports coming out of the IPO and some of the pre-IPO activities that was reported uh, later on, the kind of uh, allocation of pre-IPO stocks and so on uh, to different individuals or groups and so on, you could see that there was a huge amount of these kind of relationships in China. You know, it's not just, you know, and financial, if they did go IPO, it doesn't mean that there was only a few persons that are executives in the companies and, and Mr. Ma himself making a lot of money. It's actually a whole group of people as well. And I think that's the kind of thing that the Chinese government is concerned about, not just any particular individual, but the sort of uh, sphere of inferences that are being developed uh, among these uh, rich uh, individuals and companies that actually also in many cases have a relationship with uh, investors outside of the country as well. So they are concerned. Yeah, and I guess that fits into this narrative uh, from the Chinese government around creating a common prosperity, right? And at the same time, you've got a lot of these uh, sort of, you know, rich tech entrepreneurs making a lot of money. But at the same time, there's a lot of disenchantment with, for example, the working culture in the technology sector, 996, etc. So I guess some of this action also tries to fit into that narrative of, to some extent, the Chinese government looking like it's looking after the people. So actually, I think there were a lot of good reasons why the government had to do what it did, uh, because uh, there were indeed a lot of very uh, seriously deficient or uh, unhealthy culture among these companies that are developed uh, in the kind of work ethics that they demanded from their employees, long work hours, and so on. Uh, people actually working themselves to death in a couple of instances. Very recently, of course, the last couple of weeks, some of these uh, sexual harassment cases that came out, which actually revealed also that there's huge amount of sexual harassment types of issues uh, or culture within these big companies that they have in the past been trying to overlook. So it probably fell right into the uh, conveniently fell into the hands of the authorities to actually, you know, paint the picture of these uh, big companies being out of control, being uh, not sensitive to not just the consumers, but also the workers and so on, being unfair. The bosses make a lot of money and so on, but uh, working the employees to death and, and, and all that. I think it fell into the really conveniently in the hands of the authorities to paint that narrative uh, increasingly. But to be fair, those are real problems uh, within these uh, companies. So uh, the government uh, at this stage uh, use it to their advantage. We're just going to stop the conversation for a second and we'll be right back after this short message. 
subscribe to the Squawkbox Europe Express podcast. Join Steve, Karen and myself, Arabile, in unscripted and dynamic debate around the day's top stories with first and exclusive interviews of the best in business and global newsmakers, original points of view and instant analysis of the latest business news and key market themes. Get set for the day ahead. Squawkbox Europe Express podcast now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. And just moving on to another issue you brought up, and that is data, of course, incredibly important tech companies collecting a lot of it. And in the example of Didi, as you mentioned, it appeared the Chinese government was concerned about the amount of data Didi was um, collecting, the amount of sensitive data Didi was collecting, and the ability for that potentially to fall into foreign hands as well. But more broadly, I mean, why is data and the amount of uh, data tech companies are collecting so of such concern to the Chinese government? It, because to some extent, you feel that they're, you're moving in a way where, where the Chinese government feels that data is somewhat of a state asset. To be fair to everybody, uh, in a way, I guess the Americans also feel the same way. Because uh, the United States were also concerned about, let's say, TikTok collecting data of Americans and then turning it over to uh, China and so on. So I think uh, China thinks the same way. And uh, particularly uh, because for many of these companies that are getting listed, uh, let's say uh, in the past, even, you know, companies like Alibaba and so on that were uh, getting listed in the U.S. Many of them collect a lot of the data from domestic Chinese sources and citizens or, or companies. Now, also, I think the Chinese government is becoming more concerned because within the last couple of years, there were also legal developments in the U.S., uh, mandating companies that are listed in the U.S., the U.S. regulators, securities and other regulators would be allowed to get uh, information and data from these companies. So it was also a development that I believe uh, China was sort of uh, following in a reciprocal way right now. So I think these are the reasons that they believe that some of these data uh, that has to do with any particular sector. You just don't know what it would mean. You know, just like when Americans were looking at TikTok and they said, well, who knows, you know, maybe there was something that some very sensitive individuals or military personnel happened to be uh, saying or posting on TikTok and then their identity or their particular information might be uh, revealed to a foreign government and they would be concerned. I think at the very least, the Chinese are also concerned the same way. And also don't forget that in the last several years, we've always been saying that uh, China's AI development has been uh, quite successful, uh, very successful, actually, uh, even in comparison to the Americans, because of the fact that they have huge amount of data that is available, that they have been, they have collected from all these domestic apps and uh, companies and so on. Now, imagine that they would feel that some of these data might be uh, somehow captured or shared with uh, other entities, other foreign governments, especially, uh, I think they would have a good reason to be worried about that. Uh, not to mention that I think it's, again, it's not just data, at the same time, it's also about the, the control because once these companies uh, get, let's say in the case of DD, 
if they got I or well, they did get IPO right now, they're even talking about whether or not they have to reverse the IPO. But anyway, uh, but whatever happens, I think the government is right now a uh, Chinese government is concerned that what if there is some sort of directive from the Americans to try to tell these companies what to do, and then these companies will be in a very difficult position in the sense that they uh, will be forced to listen or obey a foreign government in the views of the Chinese authorities. Yeah, and so I think that takes us back to some of the motivations around around the sort of tech regulation at the moment. Um, is this partly about trying to redirect resources of companies like Alibaba, Tencent, etc., into some of the strategic priorities of the Chinese government around technology, whether that be semiconductors, AI, etc.? Um, particularly as you think about the geopolitics here, the broader battle with the U.S. over technology. Um, you know, and does China at this point see regulation as a way to build long-term competitiveness? Well, I'm not so sure whether they are trying to redirect uh, private companies such as Alibaba and Tencent and others into developing chips, right? Because that's not what they do. So that might be a bit difficult. But by refocusing the supported industry, you know, in China, I think in a centralized economy with, with centralized planning, they have more, are more used to, let's say, we want to focus the educational, academic research effort in, let's say, particular areas, such as, let's say, electronics, or maybe quantum computing, and so on, right? So if they do that, that would mean that actually the importance, the relative importance of companies such as Alibaba, or and, and others, the current uh, internet economy type of big tech will be diminished. And gradually, hopefully, through new startups or new state-supported enterprises like Huawei or others may take over their uh, importance. How do you see the uh, regulatory landscape at the moment as it plays out impacting the business models of some of these technology giants? Well, I think uh, they are going to be very concerned right now because of the unpredictability of the regulatory regime. When you talk about illegal or anti-monopolistic uh, types of or monopolistic types of trade practices, you know, it's easy to say that, oh, this is wrong. But then, you know, you don't know when you get into it. it it's very difficult uh, because in China, I think, unlike uh, where some of us are more familiar with some of these uh, jurisdictions like common laws and so on, you rely on a lot of previous uh, cases to say that, okay, this might be a problem. This might be okay. But in, in China, I think uh, you just can't rely on that. There's not much to rely on. And it's very much up to the uh, will or the decision of the government and the regulator to say, okay, this is not allowed now, not anymore, when used to be very uh, common, probably. So I think that is a going to be very difficult for these companies to adjust to these types of uh, regulatory actions uh, in the time to come. And the other thing that I would worry is that it's easy to start a campaign like this, but it is not necessarily that easy to find a way to stop when it should be stopped, when enough is enough. Who decides that? And right now, what I worry is that uh, we see a lot of actions by different regulatory bodies, different ministries, different departments, 
it's almost like every one of them is trying to do better than the other uh, by you know uh, trying to nail a couple of, a couple more companies and uh, find them a, a little bit more than the other and so on. If that kind of competition is developing, I just worry that they don't know when to stop. And there certainly does seem to be this lack of coordination between a lot of the regulators and some of the regulators even seem to have been caught off by surprise when you know you saw this huge sell-off uh, on on some of these major chi- Chinese tech st- stocks um, and the indexes that track them as well uh, you know so much so that the securities regulator had to step in and you know speak to the investment banks so so there does seem to be this this uncoordinated action at this point. Yeah, you're right. They are not very coordinated and they don't usually think about uh, the consequences ahead of time. Part of it is because of the lack of coordination. Part of it is also the lack of experience in regulatory uh, actions because everything is new, because even the rules are new. So they don't have a lot to go uh, by uh, when they start to do this. In a sense, as I said, I think they are. Everybody is trying to best the other, do better, do more than the other, because they perceive that is like uh, doing a good job. Because in China, uh, different ministries or different government departments do have a tendency to try to do things in order to let the uh, people above see that I'm doing a good job. I'm doing a lot. So if they continue to do that uh, without regard to the kind of consequences that would bring to the industry. You know, the stock market crash is something that's easy to see, happens almost right away, very quickly. But the impact on longer term issues, uh, factors such as development of manpower, where do the talent go? Because the market is sending a certain message. Now, uh, would that affect the kind of the talent selection of their academic uh, pursuit uh, in universities and so on, which will in turn in a few years time affect the supply of talent in the market for particular sectors? Are they sending a wrong message? Uh, are they sending a message that would not make their uh, manpower supply as sustainable as it should be. These are actually real worries, and I don't believe they have the experience or even in some ways right now, the thought of having to even think about these issues beforehand. And that can be worrying. Yeah, and I think that brings me on to my next question, which is, you know, how big is the risk here that some of these regulatory actions actually harm the long-term competitiveness of certain companies in China's tech industry, particularly as many of them have ambitions uh, to go global? Yeah, I think going global right now is going to be more and more of a uh, difficult uh, option for these companies because of the fact that, uh, you know, if you go global, you will be regulated by foreign governments, right? Some of these companies actually had been very successful in the last several years, like it or not, you know, uh, like TikTok and so on. And, uh, you know, they surpassed even Facebook in terms of getting apps download, right? So uh, hugely successful. On the one hand, Chinese government in the past couple of years may be concerned these companies becoming sort of a pawn between the US and China competition and being forced from both sides, uh, being put in a very difficult position. But increasingly, these companies, by virtue of going abroad, even including Didi, you know, one of the reasons why they went public uh, in New York, uh, other than trying to to, uh, raise a lot of money, is also because they are indeed 
engaged in international business. They are quite big in some of these global markets, including South America and so on. So it's not like a completely domestic business trying to IPO in the US, domestic Chinese business trying to do IPO in the US. They are actually you know, somewhat, uh, or at least they are somewhat international, or at least they are even trying to do more in the international market. Now, right now, I think uh, it will be more difficult for these companies to do that. And also in terms of getting foreign investment, you know, you do see that some of these investors, for example, like SoftBank within the last couple of weeks or last month, they have been saying that, you know, they are reevaluating their strategy because it's becoming increasingly unpredictable and risky. Uh, and they were a huge investors previously in many of these tech companies, new startups and so on in China. Now, what would that mean in terms of the continued uh, sustained competitiveness of the Chinese tech industry or even other industries if foreign capitals are becoming more and more uh, aware of the risk uh, that will be involved and then they are pulling back? Now, that will also at least, you know, I, I would think that that is a, an issue of concern in the long term. And on the IPO front, I mean, effectively, are Chinese tech IPOs overseas off the table? I don't know who, which big companies are right now going to be as courageous or bold enough to go uh, IPO internationally. Of course, they can come to Hong Kong. And Hong Kong, I think, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they are outright coming out and say that, you know, come to the Hong Kong stock market and uh, do an IPO over here. Uh, and it's still part of China. It is part of China. And uh, so no worry about the issue about, uh, you know, regulation by foreign governments and so on. So I think that is probably going to be, in a way, benefiting Hong Kong. But then again, you do see that even recently, some of these companies like Tencent Music, they were supposed to be or trying to be IPOing in Hong Kong uh, this year. But uh, even they are pulling back, uh, not even Hong Kong, because the problem is not just, you know, US or Hong Kong. It's actually also the fact that they are raising capital that is raising a red flag uh, in the eyes of the authorities. So I think not to mention that uh, also even after in after the DD affair, what happened with DD? In fact, uh, the US regulators, Congress, and so on, everybody is yelling and shouting about uh, needing to regulate these Chinese companies trying to come to the US to list as well. So, on both ends, the US government might squeeze them more. The China government might also be squeezing them more if they want to come to IPO, go to IPO in, in, let's say, in New York. To Hong Kong, yeah, the problem might be lesser, but still, I think in the short term, at least in the short term, many of these companies may still be quite hesitant. And Charles, I mean, what next? How do you see this regulatory uh, sort of rollout happening over the coming months? I mean, you said it's a long game. It's going to take a long time. Uh, and I guess the multi-billion dollar question here that many people are asking, are, well, you know, what industries could be next? Like I said, I can't see an end. And there are multiple reasons, right? Because the government said it from the highest level. The state council said that they are continuing this effort. So obviously, I don't think anybody can expect that there will be a quick uh, resolution or end to this type of action. 
And also because of the unpredictability of it, people will still be worried, even if, let's say, somebody comes out and say that we're going to, uh, you, you know, try to taper off these pressure and so on. I don't think people would totally believe that anyway. So uh, I think it will. The current situation will continue for quite some time. Now, having said that, yeah, I think the biggest question is uh, what other sectors will be affected. Like I said, I don't believe it is just tech. Increasingly, well, the last couple of months we saw about the education, the tutoring industry, and so on. Remembering that even though sometimes we look at it as online education, actually a lot of it is actually offline. A lot of it is actually humans, you know, cl big classes, right? So these industries are also getting affected. Online games and entertainment business, you know, you see a lot of actions against either individual entertainers or companies. And the commonality between these uh, industries are they are somewhat related to ideology or education, you know, what kind of values you will instill in your next generation, you know, even entertainment. Are you going to follow those the way that the idols would look and act and so on, right? And just uh, becoming totally engrossed in following the uh, chasing the idols that may not be something that the party would like to see, uh, things of that nature. Uh, but then again, I think the other types of industry that will be very much uh, at risk, uh, quote quote unquote, in the in the coming uh, times would be those sectors that are more prone to be uh, controlled, easily controlled by a small number of big players. Uh, and that would be, for example, uh, obviously financial services, even though that the situation might not be as serious as some of the others because of the fact that still it is uh, very much uh, controlled by some of the state-owned companies. But then again, in some sectors like insurance, it's becoming to be more diversified with more private companies. And also uh, property. You do see some actions or talks about some action being taken on some of these large property uh, developers like Soho China and so on. And so I think very likely they will be another target. And some of these other very large companies that are, you know, probably in a sense, uh, Overexpanding, you know, some of these companies that are expanding from property into making electric vehicles and all that, that are probably, in a way, the central authority may consider that to be making a lot of overly risky investment at the expense of investors and so on. So I think these are some of the possible, uh, you know, unfortunate candidates that might be future targets. Well, Charles, thanks so much for, for joining me on Beyond the Valley. That was an excellent conversation, uh, great insight, and it was, uh, it was great to see you. Good to see you too. Well, hope we can do it again. Thank you. Now, this, of course, is an evolving story. Uh, by the time you get around to listening to this episode of Beyond the Valley, a lot more may have happened, but I hope it's given you some sort of insight into the motivations behind what's happening here in China on the regulatory front as it relates to the tech sector. Uh, as well as what might come next. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, you can get in touch directly with me on Twitter. I'm on at Arjun Kapoor. You can also comment on YouTube and Facebook, and you can also subscribe if you have the chance to CNBC International's YouTube channel as well. Well, that's it for another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Arjun Kapoor. I'll catch you next time. Beyond the Valley.